0: Please remain standing as we read our gospel lesson. Luke chapter two a ten, rather, verse seventeen through verse twenty-four. We read yesterday uh, verses one through sixteen. Let us now read what happens when those seventy-two who were sent out in the mission of the church return and give their report, hear the word of God. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise be to his name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I want to thank the Advent for such a warm and hospitable stay, two-day stay. You have been so kind. You've fed me so wonderfully. I'm going to have to walk for miles and miles when I get home to get all this off. But the friendships, uh, some that are historic friendships and some that are new, have been greatly appreciated and enjoyed by myself. Matt, thank you for your introduction and for so many on the staff that I've enjoyed being with, and especially Andrew. You have a wonderful dean. You know that. Uh, but I know it too, and I'm grateful to have had time with him and so thankful for Advent and what you do for the city and the world. As I mentioned yesterday, I've been assigned the task of speaking to the issue of missions, and of course, we're looking at one of the key missions texts in all the Gospels, Uh, but it's a joy to do so in a church like Advent where I know you'll love Birmingham, you'll love the church, you'll love the Lord Jesus, and you want to be effective in his mission here and around the world. And I have felt the same for 22 years at Second Presbyterian Church, uh, serving with a group of people who love Memphis, Tennessee, who are very aware of its problems, who don't appreciate people down-mouthing our city because we love it. We even love it because of its problems, because we know the problems we have in urban America are problems that only the gospel can solve. And we're the people of the gospel, and we're the people who have the answer. So, of course, we're delighted to be where these problems are because we know that we're needed. But we love our city. We love the Church of Christ. We love his ministry, his mission, and we love him. And so we at Second Presbyterian have always felt closely connected to you, even though uh, we have not sustained perhaps regular relationships. We know you're here. We're very thankful for your example. Well, let's take a look at this text. It's very... Uh, important for us to look at things like this during the Lenten season, because, of course, you know, Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days being probated before he began his public ministry. And, uh, of course, he ministered for three years among his own people, the Israelites. But then he commanded these Jews who had been converted to him in his service, he commanded them to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, make disciples of all the nations. 100 million people in the first century. 12 apostles. (laughs) That's called a minority. But he sent them out. And sometimes we find ourselves retracting from our responsibilities in the world because we get intimidated or we get discouraged with the moral declension of our own day. And so there's talk about maybe we should become more like Christians in the monastic period and hole up a little bit and kind of uh, reconstruct and rebuild and reconsolidate and all the rest. And I'm all for retreats and uh, rebuilding, but only if we stay on the offense because that's what Jesus taught us to do. And here he's got his disciples uh, into the, they got their feet into Samaria, hated Samaria. The Samaritans and the Galileans, the Samaritans, the Judeans rarely had anything to do with each other. And Jesus is now giving them on the job training saying, I want you to go into Samaria, every town and village. And they said, really? Yes, that's where I want you to go. And so sometimes, you know, we think, well, it's nice to be in churches like Second Presbyterian, Advent, nice, clean, people dress well, they don't smell bad. But we're supposed to go out there into these dark, lonely, and dangerous places. That's where Jesus sends us into his mission. Why? Because that's where his creatures have need. And we are the one with the resources. And woe be to any Christian who thinks that she can be a faithful Christian and not be engaged in the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw from the beginning that the Christian mission is every Christian's mission. That was yesterday morning at the Sunrise Center's Bible study. And then yesterday at noon, we saw clearly from verses 3, 4, and following that this mission is a very costly mission. And that when Jesus sends us out, he says in verse 3, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. And we noted that wolves eat lambs. And so we're being fattened for the slaughter. We're being fed the word of God so that we can go out and pay the price. Why? That's exactly what Jesus did. And he says to us, come follow me. So we take up our cross, which he said we must do in order to follow him. So his ministry demanded his death. It demanded a cross. And he says, I say to you, no one can follow me who does not deny himself and take up his cross who does not take up the instrumentality of his own death in order to carry out this mission. So as Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said, when Jesus bids us follow him, he bids us come and die. The Christian mission is a costly mission, and therefore another reason why it's appropriate for us to think about this theme, not only during the Lenten season, but as we approach Holy Week itself and Good Friday. The Apostle Paul said, I I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. But he went on to say, I want to also know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so it is when we take on the mission of Christ, we take on the cross of Christ, and therefore we become like Christ, which is the ultimate goal of the Christian life. So you can't become like Christ without a costly mission. We saw that last time, yesterday. And we saw that we must go without provision. In verses 4 through 8, he shows us that we go without all the provisions we think that we need as American wealthy people. No, we go trusting in him. It's a faith mission. Now, if I can back up just a little bit, if you look at verse 9, you'll see the Christian mission is also a holistic mission. He says, I want you to go healing, and then I want you to tell people that your presence signifies that the kingdom of God has come near them. So first of all, we heal, we care for people's physical needs, and then we give them the message. And we interpret what that event was all about. In other words, I'm going to have a soup kitchen. I'm going to give you food. You don't have it. Now let me tell you the meaning of that act. So we tell them that in the presence of the soup, in the presence of my serving the soup, the kingdom of God has come near. So gospel means good news, and the good news is the kingdom has come, and when the kingdom comes, the king himself has arrived, and it would be bad news if there were no amnesty because we're all criminals, we've all sinned against the king, so he's now enthroned, he's, in, he's near us, we're in trouble, but the good, good news is not only that the kingdom has come and the king is here, but he's granting amnesty to all the criminals all the sojourners, all the people who have no right to be here, he's giving amnesty. And he says, furthermore, it's only for a period because he comes back to judge and that's the second coming of Christ. So we're in a period when amnesty is being offered to all these people who, who don't have a right to citizenship in the kingdom of God because the king is gracious. That's the gospel. It's good news. And he says, you go tell them the kingdom has come and give them the rest of the message. So in our external mission of course we deal with the physical necessities and the economic challenges, not only at Birmingham and Memphis, and around, but around the world. But we also deal with the medical issues. We, we deal with the family issues. We deal with the educational issues. We deal with every form of suffering. But we are especially concerned about eternal suffering. And therefore we proclaim the message wherever we go because it's only through the proclamation of Jesus Christ, Jesus taught us, That folks can know Christ savingly and therefore be one of the sheep instead of one of the goats. And at the end of the day, everybody's either sheep or goats. They're no, they're no geep. It's only sheep or goats. Now, I have to say in England somewhere a few years ago, they actually cloned some sort of geep, which made me think of the whole idea of a geep. There really isn't a geep spiritually. You're either a goat or a sheep and everybody's going to be one or the other. And the only way to be a lamb, to be a sheep, is to know Jesus Christ savingly. And the only way to know him savingly is through the proclamation and reception and belief in the gospel. Now, that's what the Bible clearly teaches us. And, of course, almost every university in in the West uh, is hostile to every one of those foundational principles of the Christian mission. But that's what motivates us. That's the reason that we not only heal, but we teach. Uh, Some years ago, I went to the superintendent of city schools in Memphis, a wonderful woman. She went on to be the Boston uh, city school superintendent, Dr. Carol uh, Johnson. And I said, Dr. Johnson, we at Second Presbyterian would love to be of some help. We're a little bit embarrassed because so many of our parents go to private schools. We would not want to embarrass you by getting involved in the public schools. And then people would say, look at these people. They don't even send their children to public schools. So I said, I'm singing a little lower key. She interrupted me. She said, Reverend Wilson. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, do your people love children? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, you'll do fine. So I said, well, what do we do? And she said, well, we're talking about a new program where churches and other institutions can adopt public schools, individual schools, and we can give you a choice, and you can talk to my deputy, uh, superintendent, and... We would love to have you participate. I said, Dr. Johnson, thank you very much. So we adopted a school. It was only about six miles away. 40% African-American, 40% Hispanic, 20% other, 90% of them on the federal food program. So it was a very poor school. And they're about ready to be closed because they were so poor in their performance. So we put out the word to East Memphis Second Presbyterians, will anybody help? We had 300 people help. First thing we did, we went to the principal and said, what can we do? He said, well, you can pick up the glass in the front yard. We picked it up. We said, now what can we do? Well, you can plant grass. We don't have any grass. So we sowed seed and fertilizer and put up little ropes so the kids and the parents wouldn't walk on the lawn and put some grass out there in the front yard. And we said, well, we got that done. What can we do now? He said, well, we have very poor attendance at parent-teacher meetings. Uh, could you help us cook, cook some food? We said, do you think your people would like barbecue? Oh, they love barbecue. It's Memphis, you know. So we started cooking that barbecue, and about 2.30 in the afternoon, that barbecue starts wafting over the front lawn with grass on it. And everybody's smelling that barbecue. and say, what's that all about? Well, there's a meeting tonight with all the parents. And the teachers, well, I think I'll come to that meeting. They had four times the attendance they normally have at PTA meetings. And then we said to the principal, so what can we do now? Well, we need to paint these dingy rooms. We can't get the city to do anything for this school. So we painted those rooms and put in little water coolers for the teachers, and they came in afterwards. They just wept buckets. No one had ever shown that kind of attention for those teachers. And then we said to the principal, well, what can we do now? He said, well, maybe you can help us teach these kids to read. Some of them don't even know English. So." Especially our senior women, I have to say. They volunteered in droves. And every class had a coordinating Sunday school class in our church who was praying. So every class was offered to have a Sunday school class in our church praying for them. And our day school, Presbyterian Day School, was a partner in all of this as well. And we, we staffed readers in little groups for those children. Well, let me tell you what happened. The, TCAP, the uh, testing scores for the schools... Everybody noticed that the Burke Clare scores where we were working, they started to go like this. Well, I'm telling you something now. If you work in under-resourced schooling and your scores start doing this, everybody notices. Everybody wants to know what's going on. And here's what happened. All the other principals called this principal and said to him, we noticed these scores for two and three years have been skyrocketing. What is going on? Do you know what the principal said? He said, I'm not real sure, but I think it has something to do with Jesus. (laughs) Well, I tell you what, he's exactly right. (laughs) Jesus said, heal them and preach to them. So on their property, of course, we wouldn't violate the law. We're not going to do any evangelism in those small groups. But that doesn't keep us from having a Boy Scout troop and a soccer team and English as a second language and planting a church, which we did, a Hispanic church. And you believe me, we share the gospel And we care for them over here on the school property. And we care for them over here on the church property. And we share Christ with them visibly and audibly. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's your mission. Get good at both and do them both. So it's a holistic ministry. And then if you'll look in in verses 10 through 16, I'm not going through this in detail. But here he's basically saying the Christian mission is my mission. When you're heard, I'm heard. When you're rejected, I'm rejected. When I'm rejected, the Father is rejected. So, someone cannot have God in general principle and not have Christ. Jesus said, if you reject Christ, you reject the Father. If they reject you, they reject me. So, if you're a messenger of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're humiliated and rejected, just walk away knowing that they did not reject me personally, they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. It's His mission. Now, lastly, today, we have about three minutes to deal with it. And that's all I need. I have three points, one minute for each. I want you to notice what happens when they come back. The tenth point I want to make about the Christian mission. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a joyful mission. Nobody understands the Christian mission who's down in the mouth about it, who's always complaining about it, how difficult it is. No one understands the Christian mission if that's their response. The ones who know the Christian mission are the ones who are elevated by the unspeakable joy of being in his service. And you can see it here with the 72. They return verses 17 through 19 and they're full of joy. Why? These knuckleheads, fishermen, tax collectors, they're saying, you know what? The demons are subject to us out there. Well, they've never had that happen. Well, I'm a Presbyterian minister. I don't have much to do with demons. You know, when, if someone's demon-possessed, I send them down to First Assembly of God. You know what I mean? Uh, so, now, I, I say that by way of confession. I, I really should be more competent, you know, because Jesus gives us power, to have power over demons. But when you evangelize and someone believes, I'm telling you that demons have been subject to the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we're lost in darkness and night precisely because the devil and all of his minions have blinded us to reality, the truth of the universe. And when we become Christians, the scales of our eyes fall off and we see reality, including the creator and the redeemer of all. That's a miracle, a spiritual empowerment like none other. And if you've ever led anybody to Christ, you know what I'm talking about. You don't walk away from that encounter and say, well, aren't I a smart evangelist? Or isn't he a really good guy to receive Jesus today? No, you say, we have been visited by the power of God. Of course there's joy in the Christian mission. But notice that there's a greater joy than the joy they were first expressing. Look at verse 20. He says, nevertheless... Yes, this is true. I know it's true because I've caused Satan to fall from his place. When Jesus came in the first, incarnate, the first advent, the incarnation, the power of Satan was broken so that people of all nations can receive the gospel. Jesus says, of course, I knew this when I sent you out. But then he says in verse 20, Nevertheless, there's a greater joy. Don't rejoice, he says, because the demons are subject to you, as powerful as that is, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Rejoice because you're the one who has been saved. You're the one who has received the gospel. You're the one who belongs to God as a daughter or son. You rejoice in that. The great missionary Amy Carmichael in India, you know, for years and years... With hard labor of rescuing temple, little girls who are temple prostitutes, bringing them onto her compound and leading them to Christ and caring for them, this ministry she carried out for decades. Well, on one occasion, she had a woman from UK who was coming to help her. And the woman was quite proud of her, minute, you know, her short-term mission effort. I mean, she was an older woman, and she wasn't feeling too well, but she went to help Miss Amy all the way to India. So when she got there, she said to Miss Amy, she said, You know, Miss Amy, the doctor tells me that my heart is in such a bad shape that if I even lean over the wrong way, I could have a heart attack and die. Do you know what Amy Carmichael said to her? She said, How do you resist the temptation? <laughs> here's a woman who knew where her joy was oh yes there was joy in rescuing these little girls and making Christian women out of them oh what joy that was but Amy never left the foundational joy of knowing she knew where she was going and she knew that she may not know what, what, everything that's coming but she knows this that when we see him we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is she knew where she was headed that's the greater joy Oh, but I can't let you go to lunch without one more thing. There's a third joy. There's the highest joy of all. And you get it in verses 21 through 24. Let me tell you what it is. It's the joy of beholding his joy in the Christian mission. (laughs) This is the supreme joy. Jesus gives them power. They're joyful over that. He then tells them You're going to heaven and your name can't be removed. You're one of ours. Take joy in that. And then, in the only place in the scriptures where we're told, Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. And he tells you here what he rejoiced over. It's the gospel. And its effect upon little children. Its effect upon the unwise of the world. Jesus lifts up his face, his face is radiant with joy. And Jesus is rejoicing because you've gone out to the weak and the powerless of the world, not the high and the mighty. No, Jesus says, it's not the learned and the wise, it's the unwise. It's the little children who are coming. And no one knows the Father but the Son, and no one knows the Son but the Father and those whom he chooses to reveal Him. And Jesus takes great joy in choosing out the most unlikely people like you to be his followers. That is the highest joy of the Christian mission. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. We're even told by the author of Hebrews, those of you in leadership, he says, he says to the congregation, make their task a joy because otherwise it's of no use to you. So if a pastor or an elder or a vesterman or some other Sunday school leader or small group leader does not have the joy of the Lord, it's of no good to you. Because you don't understand the gospel yourself. I'll close with this. One day, there was a little boy in Africa. He was selling mangoes. And he had a whole basket full of them. And he tried to sell mangoes all morning long. Didn't sell one. And about this time of the day, high noon, when it was the hottest, he just said, oh, forget it. He goes over and sits under a mango tree. And he takes one of his own mangoes and he just opens it up. And it's, the smell of it starts to waft around a little bit and he starts to eat and there's this big smile on his, on his black face with those white teeth coming out and before you know it he had a, a line of about a dozen people wanting to buy mango <laughs> here's the lesson ladies and gentlemen you know it quite well that in order for us to share the gospel with others you must take and eat and see that the Lord is good And let the folks see by your testimony of joy that they don't have something that's very important to them. May the Lord continue to bless the Advent with a powerful ministry, not only inside the Advent, not just inside the cathedral, but all over Birmingham and all over the world, ultimately, for the joy of our Savior, who laughs with delight when you lead the little ones and the poor ones to faith in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on Calvary's cross for us, to be raised to everlasting life, to send with you the Holy Spirit by which we live the Christian life and carry out your mission for the wonderful promises to return and to make us like himself. And during these days in the wilderness on this broken planet, we thank you for calling us to such a noble task and pray that we may fulfill it with unspeakable joy. Through Jesus Christ, our joyful Savior, amen.